Are you still recording? I am still recording. Are you still recording? Good. Every moment should with me should be caught on tape. <laughs> Let's start the show. Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. We are recording this on the 19th of November, a Sunday in the year 2023. Got a great show for you tonight. We got some brown news, top story, little crank file, little hero. Got some science. Bringing back our WTF segment tonight. And as always, we end on happy times. I am your host with the most, rocking the ones and twos tonight, Danny Paul. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon, the Kaiser of Cali, the Golfer Down Under, the Liege Lord of Lode, Father of Dubada, the Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Any <laughs> happy Sunday. How and are you? Happy, happy Sunday, Sunday, sir. This is a pre-Thanksgiving Sunday. It is. And my Mighty, mighty dolphins are, are victorious again today. Kicking ass from what I can see. Well done, sir. Yes. Well, that's we can only beat teams 500 or less, but luckily that's what our schedule hey, is. Hey, take what you can get. Mm-hmm. Because as I'm no, sure I'm you're well proud. aware and fond of reminding me, my beloved Patriots are circling the drain of inferiority at the moment. It's about fucking time. I think we're all ready for that. Got a nice little meme today from pro Patriot memes on the Instagrams. Hey, we can't lose this weekend. (laughs) It's a bye. (laughs) (laughs) One can have hope for Turkey day, but the team was so goddamn bad. They can't play on the biggest football weekend of the year. Well, you know how the rest of the AFC has felt. AFC East has felt. Oh yeah, no, for the I'm, last I'm two decades, fucking taking my licks. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no, nah, it's anyway, good. Very what good. What is right. your brown this evening, sir? In this oh. oh holiest of Novembers, the neat November. Yes, it is. Uh, one of my favorite oh. bourbons, neat, and oh. Triple B found it in Costco. Oh, so it's guilt free for me to drink it tonight. Oh, and that is. Henry McKenna, 10 year. Oh, the McKenna. Yeah. Oh, it's a good one. That was quite a wrench you made. What well, they were, they, I don't know, they're stocked up for the holidays or something, but all the ones they got, she got was spectacular. So, that's your, that's your Costco dude. Not like that at mine. Oh, well, when was the last time you were there? I was there yesterday. I was like, oh, Leon got a big old stash with Triple B. What the hell? I'm going to go. Nothing. No, none kidding. of your bottled and bond, none of your Knob Creek blue label, none of it. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. I'll have to pull some aside for you next time. Worthy, worthy of tears. What are you drinking tonight? So I am drinking for a neat November. I am drinking what Mr. Jones sent us is the world's best. Michter's. Oh, nice. Oh. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Has a very nice finish to it, like almost cherry-ish. When you said Mr. Jones, I thought you were doing Hetchy Hetchy water. No, no, Hetchy Hetchy. I haven't got any Hetchy Hetchy from him, but we're, we're talking. Here's the thing. <laughs> he's got himself a nice allocated bottle shop that he goes up to Sacktown for, and he's encouraged GBS. me to find a bottle shop of my own. Uh, but I got to tell you, finding a bottle shop is like the fucking Holy Grail is easier because I've been trying to find a little shitbox joint in a no-no town that makes you buy, you know, 12 bottles for 500 bucks. And one of them is Weller and Colonel Taylor. And it's just not, mm-hmm. you're, how do you, how do you search for it? What do you, what do you put no, in? You just got to know, which is great. That's what I mean. It's like a speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah. Triple B seems to find them. Her powers of deduction are. Quite astute. Yes. Quite well, so astute. That's the way to put it. Yeah, so I haven't found it yet. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm, until I can find that elusive magical place, we're going to still go with our 
regular, regular. In which case, you're going to find a good bottle, but you're going to pay regular price for it. You're just not going to find the, the special stuff. But tonight is Michter's for me and McKenna for you. And that's wonderful. Now that we're done talking <laughs> about Brown, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. It comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Tonight's brown news comes to us from Reader's Digest. This one's a couple months old, but I wanted to hold on to it. We should have done this one in March, Leon, but we are doing it for the most wonderful of family gatherings where you probably want to pull one of these if it gets a little too excited around the dinner table. The Irish exit. Classic. Now, you, you are not of the Irish persuasion, sir, but you know what the Irish exit is. Oh, yeah. It's powerful. The question of the article asks, is it rude? Is the Irish exit rude? Well, for those of you not right, we'll, in the know. What's your opinion before we get into it? All right, well, for those of you not in the know, let's kick this off. We've all been there. You're mingling at a party, making small talk when fatigue sets in and the itch to leave grows stronger. The host is busy chatting and there's a small crowd gathering to start saying their goodbyes. It would be just so much easier to scoot out unnoticed. It feels like a breach of proper etiquette, but it would save you an awkward farewell and get you home that much faster. There's a name for it. The Irish goodbye. But what is an Irish exit exactly? And is it a party etiquette mistake? What do you Each, think before uh, we get into it? Uh, I think it depends on the party. And I think, oh, actually, let me rephrase that. It depends on your relationship with the host. Oh, uh, Okay. I'm each with you type, on that. Each type of social situation generally comes with its own set of rules, business etiquette, wedding etiquette, funeral etiquette. But how does an Irish exit fit in? We spoke with Irish author Judith McLaughlin to fully understand the social norm and its origin. Now, what is an Irish exit? You may ask. I think we just talked about that. Of course, Why do we asking. need to repeat We're this? We're going to ask again because the article says so. An Irish okay. exit is when you leave a social situation without saying goodbye to your host or to other guests. So, how did an Irish exit get its name? Also known as an Irish goodbye, it seems to have several origin stories, although one thing is certain, it's a term we wouldn't use in Ireland, so it's purely an American term. Notes Yay, author McLaughlin. So, again, this is an Americanization of an Irish saying. McLaughlin points to the 19th century Irish potato famine and the exodus of Irish people, though, as a possible basis for the term blossoming stateside. It was a very sad time. And the Irish goodbye would have come from that. The sadness of departing and leaving Ireland and never being able to see your loved ones again. Of course, there's another theory. There might be some truth to the term originating with hard partying Irish Americans. The Irish have a reputation for drinking a lot, which is true. But this is more of an Irish American twist. The idea here is that a person would have had so much to drink that they just needed a quick escape from the party to avoid any embarrassment over how much they drank. I think that one's more true. So get That's this. That's what I thought. Well, what is the difference between an Irish exit and a French exit? One just gives up. Oh, indeed. <laughs> to be honest, there isn't much of one besides the country in which the phrase is used. You'll come across the term Irish exit if you're in the United States, but for our friends across the pond in Great Britain, you'll hear them say French leave or French exit. I mean, the exact same thing, leaving a gathering without relaying your farewells. And in other parts of the world, the phrase is leaving the English way in France, Russia, or Poland, or the Polish exit, if you're in Germany. Huh. So it is not unique to culture, my friend. It's basically somebody you don't like or a ne'er-do-well in your particular culture. That is how they leave the party, because they suck. Well, then it makes it sound like it's rude right off the bat, then. There you go. I so, can answer this question. Well, we're going to get into it. An Irish exit, is it rude? McLaughlin notes that the Irish are mainly known for their exuberantly welcome nature, and that extends to goodbyes, too. So in Ireland, it would be seen as rude to simply leave without saying goodbye. The Irish are famous for, if anything, the long goodbye. But here in the States, quietly exiting a large party might not be as rude as you think, depending on the situation. Formal gatherings like weddings or intimate dinner parties where you bring a hostess gift should promptly you say goodbye to your host. But larger informal gatherings, those that don't require an RSVP like a backyard barbecue, Read the room. 
If your host is busy with a crowd of people around them or has a line of people queued up to say their goodbyes, quietly slipping out might actually be the more polite way to make your exit rather than fight your way to the front of the pack just to say goodbye. Thoughts on that, Leanne? What do you think? Yeah, I would say in a more formal setting where the host has probably invested a bunch of time, money, worked really hard on it. You don't want to just disappear. So that's 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 where I'm at. I don't do it very often. I do think it's rude. I think it's usually easy enough. Just even send a text while you're there. Like, I can't find you. Great party. We had it. We had well, that's go. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you make eye contact around the room, at least a wave, you know, yeah. something, something that says, I want to acknowledge that I was here at your party and you're awesome, but I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So sounds like consensus is rude. I think it's rude. Well, as a host, how would you feel? Cause uh, I, I, I could care less, honestly. Again, it depends on the type of party. Uh, let's see here. No, 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 no. There you go. It also depends on what type of party is as far as how much have you been drinking? Because if somebody's completely smashed and they disappear, I find that it's not as rude. It's almost a necessity at that point. Yeah, what happened to Danny? See, Danny you, was hammered. Yeah. Like, is he in the shower? No. Is he laying down somewhere? Does he have his shoes on? Otherwise, oh shit, did he get in his car? That, yeah, okay, that's kind of important. So then that gets into the, do you text somebody when you get home, which I think is also kind of a, that's kind of a way to say goodbye to it. I, I wouldn't consider that an Irish exit if they just completely disappeared and then you got a random text that said, made it home safe. That's a goodbye mm-hmm. to me. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I accept that. All right. We have a quorum. <laughs> I'd love to hear from the other Bobs, <laughs> which, I, which I'm understanding is more than 10 now. Yes. Latest metrics tell us that we have 150 listens per episode and we're getting contacted by potential sponsors, Leon. Oh, that's that means they got to like us. Fucking horn since we're on the eve of 100 episodes, which apparently is a big podcast milestone. Big deal. Big deal. <laughs> Those of you listening at home, bottleofbrown at gmail.com. You can call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message. We listen to all of them. But that wraps up talk about brown well good let's get to our top story news team assemble let's get down let's get down to business and i got news for you tonight's top story comes to us from cnn the cable news network this one is four days old so mid-november walmart costco and other companies rethink self-checkout. Before we begin, self-checkout, good or bad, Leon? I, I will say, in lieu of not staffing enough cashiers, good. But if you staff enough cashiers, it's bad. I prefer having somebody ring me out. I don't want to go searching for SKU codes or anything like that, but there's a lot of people out there that are adverse to actually wanting to interact with people. We've done a lot of stories on that. Mm-hmm. There's restaurants and people are like, I just don't want to people today. And if you don't want to people today, then I get it. It's totally cool. It's a nice option, but I prefer because most of the time I end up having booze in my cart anyway. And self-checkout's no good with that. Right. Well, aside from the, we don't want to have to interact with other humans problem. There is also the matter of theft. Oh, that, well, when you other, said Walmart, I figured that was the trigger. Other breaking of the <laughs> rules. Well, I remember a couple of episodes we talked about the banana code. Mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. Banana code, technically theft. The article begins, the backlash against self-checkout is growing and stores are starting to dial back on the technology after it exploded over the past few years. Booths, a British supermarket chain, said it's removing self-checkout stations in all but two of its 28 stores. In the United States, Walmart, Costco, Wegmans, and other chains have also revised their self-checkout strategies. Our customers have told us this over time, that self-scan machines that we've got in our stores can be slow, they can be unreliable, and they're obviously impersonal. So says Nigel Murray. Customers at this... Nigel. Nigel Thanks, Nigel. Yeah. Very British name. Yeah, good man. Appreciate you. Customers at Boots also frequently misidentified which fruits and vegetables they were buying when prompted by self-checkout machines. See above banana code. 
Alcohol purchases also were not smooth transactions through self-checkout because employees had to verify customers' ages. So, what else? Self-checkout woes. Self-service machines were first introduced during the 1980s to lower labor costs. They shifted the work of paid employees to unpaid customers. Now, this reminds me of a, a Bill Burr sketch. He says, why don't you go use the self-checkout line? It's because I don't work here. That's why. Which I kind of, <laughs> I kind of agree with. Self- I totally agree. Self-checkout expanded at supermarkets in the early 2000s as stores looked to cut costs. And during the pandemic, many shoppers used self-checkout for the first time to minimize close interaction with employees and other customers. But now they're rethinking it. They found that self-checkout leads to higher merchandise losses from customer errors and intentional shoplifting known as shrink in the industry. That's when you lose inventory. When you gain inventory, they call that... Uh, fattening? Swell. Oh. We never had to worry about swell at Home Depot. I say, I've never even always, heard of that happening. There was always shit leaving. Shrink has been a growing problem for retailers who have blamed shoplifting for the increase and called for tougher penalties, but retailers' self-checkout strategies have also contributed to their shrink problems. One study of retailers in the United States, Britain, and other European countries found that companies with self-checkout lanes and apps had a loss rate of about 4%, more than double the industry average. Some products have multiple barcodes or barcodes that don't scan properly with self-checkout technology. Produce, including fruit and meat, typically needs to be weighed and manually entered into the system using a code. Customers may type in the wrong code by accident. Other times, shoppers won't hear the beep confirming an item has been scanned properly. Now, this is true. But you mentioned Costco early on, and Costco's always got those receipt checkers. That's correct. So that's shocking that they're in, in this conversation because they so, already have a well, system here, to double check. Here's the fun part. Check this out. Other customers take advantage of the lax oversight at self-checkout aisles and have developed techniques for stealing. Common tactics include not scanning an item, swapping a cheaper item, bananas, for a more expensive <laughs> one, Scanning counterfeit barcodes attached to their wrist or properly scanning everything and then walking out without paying. Scanning a barcode on your wrist. Goddamn genius. That's next level. Like, why don't you just, just that's take it? That's, that's just genius. Take it. That's you, are, you, you even have to- it. Well done. <laughs> so the deal with Costco, as we're aware of, is that you can go in, use somebody else's membership, Scan it at the self-checkout, and you can buy stuff for yourself without being a member. Now, mm-hmm. if you think about that, it's like, well, okay, who cares? Costco right. cares. Do they? So because of that, they're adding more staff in self-checkout areas after it found out that non-members were sneaking in to use membership cards that didn't belong to them, which that's like, you're going to sell a hot dog for a buck fifty, but you're going to be anal about taking somebody's money. That's like that's that's some Netflix shit there. I don't know. I got that's I like, for who cares? wag of my finger to Costco on that one. Take their money. Are they re- are they really making that much on memberships that they can't? Spare they already a got few the membership. People? It's not like they're walking in without paying. Right. Stupid. Anyway, Walmart removed self checkout machines at some stores in New Mexico. Shoprite pulled them at Delaware stores after customer complaints, and Wegmans last year ended a mobile app that allowed customers to scan, bag, and pay for groceries while they shopped after reporting losses. Uh, Five Below Discount Toy Retailer said that shrink at stores with more self-checkout lanes was higher. Company plans to increase the number of staffed cash registers in new locations. Thank you! So I ran into an interesting scenario today. My oldest, Max Man, dragged me into a Best Buy. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell they you the last exist. time. I, yes, they still exist. They're, they're relics is of, it next to of the 90s. Ah, good question. They did. <laughs> or Radio Shack? <laughs> they did knock down the wall in the space next to them, which was empty, which could have been a blockbuster. Anyway, we got in there and we're looking around and, and Amazon's starting to discount heavily. So by the time mm-hmm. you hear this, maybe the sale was over, but hopefully by the time you hear this, it'll be Black Friday. They had those Echo Dot speakers that were discounts. We're like, oh, I'll take one of those for half off. And then as we're wandering through the store, we saw a couple other things. And we go to the checkout line, and there's one girl who's clearly not trained or lazy. Tough to tell the difference mm-hmm. anymore. And she was struggling, 
with this couple's deal. And there started to be people backing up behind us. So it was at least me and, and two other uh, paying customers ready to go. And so this, this girl is just struggling to figure out the cash register. And there's this dude right next to her scanning stuff, staring at it with his face. He's like, bro, empty register, jump on, get us the fuck out of here. And there was no self checkout. <laughs> and I'm thinking, ah. I got two things that I can scan bag and be on my way. Meanwhile, over in the loss prevention area by the door, there's three managers in yellow shirts. And I was like, you know, I was trying to pull the three amigos up here, up here, <laughs> over here, over here. You too. You, ah. you manager here. <laughs> Didn't work. Look at me. Look at me. So I got, I got sick of waiting and I was like, we're out of here. And I dumped off stuff on random shelf. And my boy was like, what are we doing? I was like, we're teaching them a lesson, son improper customer service yep five minutes well, of my you know, time I, you lost sixty dollars revenue i think that the the future of self-checkout has to go the way you mentioned it amazon the amazon stores got smart you know that you don't have to go through a register whatever's in your cart registers on the way out the store yeah boom, you boom, scan boom. it you scan okay. it when you pull it yeah it, well they all have those little uh trackers on them right so they double they scan it they you, you yeah. scan it when you pull it and then they scan it on the way out and it's basically a digital version of the receipt checker at costco and so they get a double check to make sure that everything is the way it's supposed to be and that to me is efficient because you walk in you walk out you got what you need you're good yeah exactly so if they're gonna go that route then cool yeah i, I don't know i i, I would rather either. they staffed people and just had them sit around and clean you know, have people there, if nothing's going on, clean. And then if customers show up, help the customers. When the customers go away, clean. Because then at least you have a clean store. Nothing worse than an empty, dirty store. Let me ask you this. <sighs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. You have, obviously, premium stores and non-premium stores. I'm That's not going to go as high as, like, a Whole Foods, but you know what I'm talking about. There's... Yeah. And do you typically shop at the cheaper stores or do you, do you go to the premium stores uh, or is it like, a, and I'm using the word typically, not yeah, always. I mean, obviously. I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Well, I love Costco. That's been well documented yeah. on the show. Uh, I like going into Walmart for stuff that I know I'm getting just because Walmart's cheap and there's good people watching opportunities. Yeah. I don't know. So I have, there's an AJ's next to us and an AJ's is the top of the line, top, top grocery store. That's kind of cool. Cause they got good bottles in the back. We could look for some, yeah. some special one twos. And then of course their, their, uh, their specialty meat cabinet is something else, but it's not a typical, I wouldn't say typical. Yeah. Like we have a pavilions next to us. That's know, pretty but, high end. Yes. But then, you know, we got smart and final and, and Ralph's, just as close, but I never go there because when I go there, I mean, net, my groceries are probably going to be five, even 7% less, but I don't enjoy the experience. Like the shelves look like hell. I can't ever find anyone to help me. I stand in long lines at the cash register. I don't want to be there. So I, I pay for the premium experience. That's if you, if you rolled in this question, would you get rid of cashiers? I mean, the uh, self-checkout, would you be willing to pay an extra X percent on all your groceries, especially given the rising cost of trying to keep employees these days? That's basically the question is, are you willing to pay more for that service? And the challenge that I have with that argument is that's the way it was. You're changing something the way it was. So you now take chicken that is raised the way you used to raise chicken and you're calling it organic chicken. Now, don't call it organic chicken because that's the way you used to raise it. You're changing something. Now you call it GMO chicken or we feed it shit and don't let it walk chicken, <laughs> you know, rather than give it a name because you're pretending it's something different. It isn't. That's the way you used to do it. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, well, would you pay more for an experience? Like, well, that was the way it used to be. So you're changing it. Call it something new. I don't know. I got, I got, I got, it's a beef with that argument. Man. Well, the argument is those 
those co- you always assume those costs or those changes were offset just by putting money in shareholders' pockets, and you know they didn't lower the prices when they put those in, but now they got to raise the prices when they take them out. I understand that argument, but I don't always buy it because I think as a business owner, I'm constantly trying to move and shift to offset inflation. And I'm sure that's what a lot of things that they're doing there too. And you've made moves to try to keep your groceries competitive or your items or your retail items competitive. And you, they're, they're more out of desperation than out of greed. At least that's the way I feel these days. So, uh, and, and they're competing so hard with the online shoppers or the online marketplace that it's even, it's even harder for them to be competitive. So when you say, you know, would you pay more to put them back in the store? Like you would have been paying more all along, but it also would have probably sunk them or would have really hurt their sales if they were rising at the that level as well so they had to come up with i mean look at the mcdonald's right now you have all most of the ones i've been in now have those kiosks Mm -hmm. where you order from there i mean are they doing this just so that the the people that have the store get to make more money or is it to keep up like they have to offset uh some of the costs and it's not just labor they're offsetting they're offsetting tons of stuff but i don't know i'm sensitive to it because you know Sometimes you have to go back to the old way. You're always trying to, if you're not trying as a business owner or not, you don't even have to be a business owner. It doesn't matter who you are in the business. If you're not trying to find a way to be more efficient, not cheap, efficient, then you're doing it wrong and the business is going to die because that's what everybody else is doing. So, Yeah. And when you say it that way, that, that appeals to a cardinal rule of, of Danny's playbook is you have to compete. So if rock bottom prices is your thing, cry into your money, I got it. If a more concierge white glove experience is your thing, maybe I'll pay a little bit more for that. But I do like the idea of choice. So if today I'm feeling patient and I want to save money, I'll go with a shittier experience so that I can lose less money. But if I'm going for an opportunity where I don't have a lot of time, I don't have a lot of patience, yeah, I, I would probably pay a little bit more for that. But of course, the choice has to be there. So I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't think of it as, you know, give these people a job because find something else for them to do, you know, or I always hate, I hate the business's argument of, well, I got to make money. Why do I give a fuck? Why do I give a fuck if you make any money on that car at all? Not my problem. So if the business says, well, I got to make money, it's like, oh, great. I'm going to go somewhere else. So from the consumer perspective, choice is good. From the business perspective, uh, you you got to do it right or you're going to lose people. So I'm not going to stop going to Costco because they're checking IDs at self-checkout because that's not my problem. It doesn't apply to me. But if we run into scenarios in retailers where they don't want to staff a checkout person and it's not an easy checkout process, yeah, I'm not, not going to shop there. Yeah, that's fair. That wraps up top story. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Leon, you know, here at the Bottle of Brown podcast, I like to find the news stories that fall between the cracks. Mm-hmm. Well, this one made the main feed. So some of you may be thinking about this as you hear this episode. Horse gets loose on airplane, forces it to return to the airport. Not again. The horse was not flying first class, in case you're wondering. <laughs> A 747 cargo plane heading to Belgium from New York was forced to return to JFK International Airport after a horse escaped from its stall, according to the air traffic control audio. Imagine what that tape was like. <laughs> I would love to hear it. I wish we could get it. Uh, there's, a, there's a horse back there. Not funny, man. I told you I was drinking last night. No, no, really, there's a, there's a horse back there. If, I, if you got to go to the bathroom, just go to the bathroom. Stop making shit up. No, really, man. There's a, there's a horse on the plane. That's crazy. According to the audio clip, which was obtained by You Can See ATC via Live ATC. That's weird. Okay, we get to listen to it. Oh, it's a YouTube thing. All right, we'll throw that in the show notes. 
The horse got loose within 30 minutes of takeoff. The Boeing 747 was barely at 31,000 feet when a pilot told air traffic control that a horse had escaped from its stall and that they needed to return to JFK on Thursday, according to Flight Radar 24. In the air traffic control audio, the pilot is heard as saying, we are a cargo plane with a live animal, a horse on board. The horse managed to escape its stall. There's no issue with flying, but we need to go back to New York as we can't resecure the horse. Just like college, right, Leon? The flight was forced to make a U-turn off the coast of Boston and dump about 20 tons of fuel over the Atlantic. I was just going to say, how much fuel did they have to drop? Because that is a long flight to Belgium, so they yeah, were so full un- of fuel. Unpack that, so they can't land if they got too much fuel. Right, right. I mean, they all they take off a lot fully, heavier, fully loaded, right? Fully, yeah. You can't land. They have landing weight and takeoff weight, and the landing weight is much, much lighter, obviously. And when you got fuel that is six pounds per gallon, and how many gallons you got on board there, the plane. If you come down and land, you'll snap the the landing gear because the plane's too heavy with that kind of force. So, okay, that's uh, they got to dump all that fuel before they can come land because they were anticipating burning it over the Atlantic. So they dumped twenty tons of it about ten miles west of Martha's Vineyard. And amid that's the fuel crazy. dump, yeah, amid the fuel dump, a pilot requested a veterinarian to be present at JFK when the plane landed. Once landed, when the ATC asked if the flight required, or the air traffic controller, thank you, ATC asked if the flight required assistance on the ground, negative, on the ramp, yes, we have a horse in problem. It remains unclear how the horse managed to escape, but it remained unrestrained until the plane landed at JFK. The flight was able to take off a short time later and successfully arrive at Liege Airport on Friday morning, according to Flight Radar 24. Air Atlanta Icelandic. The charter airline operating the flight did not immediately respond to ABC News request for comment. And now we go to the video, Leon. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm Boston Center uh, for protest of 4592. Atlanta 4592, guys. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we are a cargo plane. Uh, we have live animal horse <laughs> on board the airplane. And the horse managed to escape its stall. Uh, we don't have a, a problem as of flying-wise, but we need to return return back to New York. We cannot get the horse back to New York. Atlanta 4592, uh, Roger, you are cleared to Kennedy via radar vectors. For now, fly your present heading. Descend and maintain flight level 220. Okay, uh, radar vectors, uh, present heading, descend now, flight level 220, 4592, thank you. So I, I did some quick math. <gasps> And that was about twenty six, almost twenty seven thousand dollars in fuel they had to dump just to land. Oh, ten miles west and, of Martinsville, which means it's probably washing up a little bit on the beach. Yeah, and it's six thousand six hundred and sixty six gallons of fuel in your oceans. Wow! All because of a loose horse. Because of a loose horse. Yeah. So That's the, part crazy. That, the part that you miss when you're reading the copy on the page, for those of you listening at home, is you miss the fact that, and this one slipped right by me as well, Air Atlanta Icelandic. Iceland has its closest genetic link to Scandinavia. So the pilot sounded very Swedish to me, which now <laughs> makes it so much funnier. <laughs> we are cargo plane with live animal horse on board. The horse managed to escape its stall. No issue flying, but we need to go back to New York as we can't resecure the horse. The horse got out of the stall. <laughs> problem on the plane. We have loose horse on the plane. I wish there was like a camera inside of there. 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. That's awesome. Ah, we don't have any Swedish chef audio, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Please have veterinarian horse doctor waiting on the ramp. We have horse in problem. 
<laughs> oh, that's awesome. That wraps up the crank file. Let's get to our hero of the week. Tonight's Hero of the Week comes to us from ABC News, not the ABC we just heard from, Leon. This is the Uh Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC, Uh because this one comes to us from down under. That's right. The Florida of the South Pacific. You ready? Here we go. (laughs) Cattle producer Colin Devereaux survives crocodile attack after biting back. Northern Territory cattle producer Colin Devereaux knows he is lucky to be alive after being attacked by a 3.2-meter saltwater crocodile. 3.2 meters is about 10 feet, I recall. Yeah. A veteran cattleman from Twin Hill Station is set to walk out of the hospital this week after spending nearly a month in Royal Darwin Hospital receiving treatment. The attack happened while on his way to do some fencing near the Finnis River last month. He stopped at a billabong after noticing fish swimming in the middle of the retreating waterway. The water had receded and it was down to this dirty water in the middle. I took two steps and the dirty bastard latched onto my right foot. <laughs> it was a big grab and he shook me like a rag doll and took off back into the water, pulling me in. Now check this out. This motherfucker bit the croc's eyelids. Yes. Mr. Devereaux, who is aged in his mid-60s, said he tried kicking the croc in the ribs with his left foot and then tried biting the animal back. I was in such an awkward position, but my accident by teeth caught his eyelid. It was pretty thick, like holding on to leather, but I jerked back in his eyelid and he let go. I leaped away (laughs) and took off with great steps up to where my car was. He chased me for a bit, maybe four meters, but then he stopped. Mr. Devereaux said he got a towel and some rope to strap on his leg to stop the bleeding. His brother then drove him 130 kilometers. Let's say that one again for dramatic emphasis. He drove 130 kilometers to the hospital where Mr. Devereaux has been receiving treatment for his wound ever since. That's, that's some Mick Dundee shit this there. This motherfucker, yes. Biggest problem was having to clear out all the bad bacteria, so all the billabong water full of mud, goose shit, duck shit, and crocodile teeth marks. Truth. What was he doing walking down in there? Foot, ah, foot and leg was opened up bad over 10 days in a row. They had to flush it. They got a picture Ouch. of the Finnis River floodplain. Turns bright green home to plenty of crocodiles in the wet season. He received a skin graft earlier this month and said he could feel his toes and doctors were hopeful he could walk again within a week. It all happened in about eight seconds. If the crocodile had bit me somewhere else, it would have been different. I think so. Oh, here we go. It means I've got to change what I do. I've been walking around that swamp country too long, fixing fences and living life, but it's opened me eyes. He said the crocodile which attacked him would not be harming anyone else and had been removed. Got it. That means it's a pair of boots now. That means it's a pair of boots and a belt. That's right. Well done, sir. Mm. Colin Devereaux from the Northern Territory. Well done, sir. That is our hero of the week. Let's get on to some science, technology, space, Leon. Ooh, I love this. Science isn't about why, it's about why not. Droid. Technology. Yes, science. Technology. Space. Tonight's science, technology, space comes to us from interestingengineering.com. Those of you just joining the Bob podcast, we'd like to post all the links from each of the stories that we read so you can follow along at home. This one's from interestingengineering.com. When we think of engines in cars, Leon, we think about the internal combustion engine powered by gasoline or diesel, or we think of the burgeoning electric vehicle market. Mm-hmm. This, sir, is titled from October 27th, 2023, Breaking Barriers, AVL's hydrogen-powered two-liter engine tops 410 horsepower. Now we're talking. This is an actual solution. 
AVL Race Tech has a two-liter turbo engine achieving 410 horsepower, defying preconceptions about hydrogen combustion and offering a sustainable future for motorsport. Now, for those of you at home thinking, hydrogen, what do you mean? Google the Hindenburg, and mm-hmm. then you'll see that hydrogen is a combustible fuel. The article begins... Yeah, but at- the storage of it, like, on the vehicle, that's... That's always been the scary thing. That's what we're going to talk about. So in a monumental step towards sustainable motorsport, AVL Race Tech, the motorsport division of Australian mobility technology company AVL, has unveiled its groundbreaking hydrogen-powered, high-performance, two-liter turbo engine delivering a jaw-dropping 410 horsepower on the test bed, according to a company announcement. This achievement marks a significant breakthrough in hydrogen combustion technology, defying conventional notions of low-performance hydrogen engines and potentially reshaping the future of motorsport. So until now, hydrogen combustion engines, H2 ICE, have been associated with underwhelming performance due to lean burn combustion. And I've seen a couple of videos on this, Leon. When you think about a traditional engine, like a regular internal combustion engine that uses gasoline or diesel, you got to put like 64 gallons of hydrogen in the back of the car in order to get the same output as a regular gasoline tank which is you know like oh. 20 to 24 gallons right so it's yeah. significant it's like three or four x these guys in collaboration with a hungarian humda lab h-u-m-d-a has shattered the preconception by developing an innovation innovative h2 racing engine featuring an intelligent port fuel injection system with water this unique technology injects water into the engine's intake air preventing premature ignition and shifting the air-fuel ratio to stoichiometric combustion, eliminating the drawbacks of lean burn. So the water slows down the ignition of the hydrogen. And they say this two-liter car can literally run on just hydrogen. So the largest commercially operated engine runs hydrogen in the world first, world's largest hydrogen electric propulsion-powered zero-emission. So what we're looking at here is a hydrogen engine that generates a remarkable 410 horsepower and 500 newton meters of torque between 3,000 and 4,000 RPM. 500 newton meters, achieving a specific power density of approximately 205 horsepower per liter. AVL's setup system addresses a low-performance issue commonly associated with hydrogen engines, making it a strong contender in motorsport. And so we're talking about high RPM, high-powered racing vehicles. They figured out how to do it with hydrogen. So the application here is for racing, not for the average Joe at this time. Correct. But it also makes it, me, yeah. So it's a two liter engine that's getting mass torque between 3,000 and 4,000 RPM. That's mm-hmm. basically your standard passenger car. Yeah. But you know what else I'm thinking if, what's the most abundant element on earth? I believe it's hydrogen. I believe it's hydrogen as well. So if we're here talking about this thing can pump out that kind of horsepower using hydrogen and water, like, is this, is this changing not just propulsion, but all energy driving? Like, why can't we use engines? To produce energy for other things. If you can effectively do it this way, you put a serious dent in the electric motor market. Mm-hmm. Unless you have motors that are running from sustainable fuels like hydrogen. Uh, no. Electric motors that are run by solar, wind, or water propulsion. That's, that's sustainable and renewable. Mm-hmm. Or... You've got an opportunity to burn hydrogen, which will mix with oxygen and effectively your output is water. Mm -hmm. So unless you need something specific from the oil that you're pulling out of it, like petroleum products for plastics, you don't need oil to power engines anymore. Yeah. That's the, that's the implication here is that you now have something that will replace all the nastiness that's pumping all the carbon into the air. So let's see, while battery electric vehicles have dominated recent automotive innovations, AVL's hydrogen combustion engine offers a compelling alternative. Unlike traditional internal combustion engines, the hydrogen engine does not emit carbon, aligning with the goals of a cleaner, greener future for motorsport. 
AVL believes that this technology presents a more economical solution for motorsports teams transitioning from gasoline-powered engines, offering motorsports classic mechanical noise and feel while reducing environmental impact. Ooh, that's cool. Still sounds like a normal engine. That's right. So they're gearing up for real-world testing on the racetrack. It presents a promising vision of sustainable motorsport that may revolutionize the industry while upholding high-performance standards. How do you like them apples? I like where this is headed. Feel good about it. I know that Toyota's working on this, and I think one of the challenges that they run into is they had to bring the temperature way, way down for the same thing that they're talking about here is hydrogen is so light that immediately once it enters the chamber, it starts burning. And so you don't Mm -hmm. get that nice concentrated explosion that you get out of an internal combustion engine. So the idea with these guys is once they pump the hydrogen in, they squirt water in there and water, the way I'm thinking of it is that water makes space in the chamber for the hydrogen to come in and get compressed. Because then Mm. once you pop the spark plug, you've got condensed hydrogen, which makes for the same type of explosion you get from gasoline. Only the difference is you get water. You pump in oxygen, you pump in hydrogen, you light a match, boom, H2O. Water is a byproduct with no carbon, which means no black smoke, which means no naughty naughty in the atmosphere. H2O. That to me is a win-win. That wraps up science, technology, space. Leon, in the absence of a loathe tonight, I think I'm going to do a little WTF. Oh, we've, we've been long awaiting. Excuse me, what the... What the... What the... Hey, yo, what the... What? What the... What the... Whiskey... Tango... Prepare to grind your teeth, Leon. <laughs> in advance of the number one family holiday... Where all the shit comes out. This one's dated November 7th from PewResearch.org. That's right. I went to Pew. 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 <laughs> I went to Pew Research. Pew. That's right. Americans' knowledge of their government varies wildly by topic. What Americans know about their government. Majorities are aware of the length of Supreme Court appointments, how states' representation in the House of Representatives is determined, which parties control the House and Senate, and one of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. However, fewer Americans correctly answer questions about the filibuster, the length of a Senate term, and how a presidential election is decided in the event of a tie in the Electoral College. Pop quiz, Leon. How long is a Senate term? Six years. Well done, sir. Mm -hmm. How long is a House term? Uh, two years. Two years. Two for two. Well done, Leon. God damn it. Three quarters of Americans are familiar with the length of a Supreme Court appointment. This question got the highest share of correct answers on our quiz. Clear majority, 68% of those surveyed, also know how the number of representatives each state gets in the House is determined. The public also generally knows who's in control of Congress. 66% correctly identify which party has a majority in the House, and 63% know which controls the Senate. A smaller majority, 57%, correctly identifies one of the rights the First Amendment guarantees, while half correctly answer what part of the government requires a 60% majority vote to end a filibuster. On the other hand, fewer than half of Americans know the length of a full term of office for the U.S. Senator or who chooses the president if there is a tie in the Electoral College. So, Republicans and Democrats perform about equally well on these questions, so it's not leaning one way or the other. Equal shares of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents and Democrats and Democrat-leaners correctly answer three questions. Which party is in control of the Senate? One of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. Which part of the government requires 60% majority to end a filibuster? Among all eight items in the quiz, there is no greater than a three percentage point difference in the shares of Republicans and Democrats who answer correctly. So, this is not about party affiliation. You still with me, Leon? Still with you. Here's where the rage comes in. Older Americans are generally more likely than younger adults to answer the questions correctly. For instance, 88% of adults aged 65 and older know the length of a Supreme Court appointment compared with 62% of those ages 18 to 29. 
However, older adults are somewhat less likely than younger adults to correctly answer questions about First Amendment rights and the tiebreaker for the Electoral College. So, when we look at the age breakdown for length of Supreme Court appointment, who determines number of House representatives, party control in House, party control in Senate, part of the government requiring a 60% majority of the filibuster, and the length of a Senate term, the older you are, the more knowledgeable you are. Yet when it comes to who chooses the president in an electoral college tie, and one of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment, that's where the age ranges flip, and the young people know more. The implications of this is if you don't have a proper civics education, Boom. you're going to be making dumb decisions when it comes time to vote. I've, I've been saying for a long time, I wish there was a mini test before people got to vote. <laughs> Not Nothing hard, just basic stuff before you get to vote. Now, that would wipe out 80% of people voting. Probably but. could, yeah. So here's the thing. you got a little bit of correlation here in the left to right. We've got a, little, a scattered plot right here. What it looks like is with age, based on this chart, it says virtually no partisan difference emerge in civic and political knowledge, but the percentage who correctly answered each of the following has a very strong correlation with age and party affiliation. And so what this chart suggests is as you get older, you skew Republican. What do you think, Leon? Mm -hmm. That makes sense to you? It always has, yeah. Yeah, why is that? I think there's a lot of reasons why. I th um, <laughs> Not to get too political, but I think your, your view of life changes as you get older. Yep. Experience does a lot to you. I'll go with that. Growing a family does a lot to you. Uh, owning your own things working hard to get your own things uh, that does a lot to you, but it's, it's a lot of your own experiences. And I would also say that um, on some level that Republicans uh, are the, the party of, I don't need a lot of change. I understand what's going on in this world here. <laughs> I don't need you to flip it on its head. Hence and the word conservative. The, yeah. And the Democrat side is, you know what? I don't like how this is. So let's flip it on its head. So I would Hence say the, the older you are. Yeah. And the less, the less responsive you are to that theory, along with a ton of other things. But I, I think that is a driver. Uh, but you'll, you'll, I think Shane, Shane Gillis. He does an amazing stand-up on this. Yeah. On, you know, when when you get old enough to become a Republican and you, you've switched <laughs> over. It's it's hilarious. Is it old enough or rich enough? Mm-mm. No, it's it's definitely old enough. It's the way age. he describes okay. it. It's perfect. Right. It's age. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I think that's a misnomer because I think some of the poorest people in the United States are also Republican. It It has a lot to do with... Uh, I, I think it's always been a stigma that, hey, if you're if you're rich, you want to be a Republican because you're going to get those tax breaks and the tax breaks are rich. And I think it's a bunch of horseshit because uh, I think when people really get down to nitty gritty, it's here's a list of 20 issues. The left believes this and the right believes this. That's what you should go down. That's what you should figure out, you know, and, um, you know, fiscally or socially or whatever they have different stances on a, a ton of different issues and what's what i've seen a lot of and who knows you, you can't believe anything on the internet but what's really interesting is when you go ask people where do you fall on this 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 what do you think you are a democrat or a republican or a um independent or a who's the guy that just got elected uh down in argentina he's a uh Oh, yeah, that's an interesting one. He wants to blow it all up. Yeah, but he's a uh, libertarian? He's libertarian. a libertarian guy? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it would be interesting, like, if you checked all these boxes and then you actually put a value to how important, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you do those 
football pickums, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I know for a fact the Dolphins are going to win. That's my 16 pointer. And you go down all the way down. But uh, if you did that, it'd be really interesting to know where you actually fall, not where you've been voting your whole life. And, and it might be the same. It, it might not be. Who knows? Well, we have a strong correlation with age, which suggests as you get older, you're less and less acceptable of change, which file that one under duh. But this one was interesting just based on which which one the youth seems to pay attention to, which is the First Amendment. Now, the First Amendment, as I understand it from Miss Hooper's history class, was speech, religion, assembly, and press. Yeah, there and you I go. Wonder, so that's the four. So I'm curious now, one of the rights... I'm going to assume speech, but do you think that's it? I certainly don't think it's assembly. I don't think anybody gets that. Although it seems very popular these days. So who chooses the president of the Electoral College Tide? Do you know the answer to that? Yeah, the House does. It's not the vice president? No. The House. Exciting. The article doesn't provide answers. just says what they scored. I feel confident in that. Now I got to Google it. Yeah, let's go our it. listeners. Let's pause the show. Who chooses the president if the Electoral College is tied? Who chooses the president of the tie? Here we go. Thoughtco.com. Mm-hmm. Ooh, history.com. What do you think? Do we trust history.com? Yeah, probably. According to history.com. A bitterly divided house. Constitution has a contingency plan for tie elections laid out in Article 2, Section 1. If there be more than one who have such majority and have an equal number of votes, then the House of Representatives shall immediately choose by ballot one of them for president. Well done, Leon. Fucking A. So in my incorrectness, the vice president certifies the vote. He is not the tiebreaker. He or she, I should say. The vice president is the tiebreaker in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Glad to clear that up. Well done, sir. That wraps up WTF. Let's close this one out with some happy times. Being that it is Movember, Leon, I thought this mm. one was perfectly suited for happy times. Now, it could also suit as a crank file, but I thought in honor of Thanksgiving, when you're going to see people that you love and appreciate, but as soon as you're done with eating with them, you want them to go away, I bring you the 2023 National Bearded Mustache Championships. Now, for those of you listening at home, this there's is, not really much I'm, to talk about. You need to go and check out this link from home because this one is mymodernmet.com forward slash 2023 national beard mustache. Spectacular. And I don't know if this is AI or not, Leon. I'm just going to assume it's real. Oh, I got to think it's real. Well, you're going to love this. Do you know where it was hosted? Uh, no. But I must ask you that question. <laughs> <laughs> Daytona Beach. Oh, of course it is. Uh, uh, Leon's old stomping grounds. Home of Ember Riddle Aeronautical University. The article begins, Daytona Beach was full of fun facial hair as contestants arrived for the 2023 Honest Amish National Beard and Mustache Championships. Photographer LJ was on hand to shoot the official portraits that led us to see the incredible beards, mustaches, and goatees that entered this year's competition. Participants entered a wide variety of categories and classes that allow for everything from neatly groomed facial hair to fantastical crafted facial hair that uses creative materials to give the illusion of a beard or mustache. But by far, the freestyle category is where contestants really shine. And they use their natural hair to create incredible shapes. The final results are sculptable, sculptural and demonstrate just how much you can do with a beard and mustache. 
All right, let's start with Jacob Darlington, who won Best in Show. Look at that bitch right there. Uh, that is something to be proud of. That, for, for, uh, for the listeners that can't see this, he has a wonderful yeah, mane. How, how would we describe that? Probably, uh, it's, it's like a half lion's mane, but it's, it's got to be gray. twice the width of his head and down to his teats. Yeah, very, very thick. And yeah, it goes just, just above the nipple, but it's just wonderfully groomed. Oh, and he's got bushy eyebrows to boot. Oh, yeah. His mustache is slightly darker than the rest of it. This had to take him years. Yeah, that's wonderful. This is the, this is the Rip Van Winkle look. If you sleep for 20 years, this is what you look up when you wake up. <laughs> All right, let's see. Who do we got? Uh, oh, he's interesting. Mm. We don't get a name on this one, do we? I don't think so. I think we're just getting images no now. So we've got uh, quick pointed parts. <laughs> this man's got a lot of beard wax going on. He's got a lot where his on. sideburns go about a foot on both sides and his lower beard goes about a foot down. So it almost looks like uh, so some this kind is of... like This is like ratatouille, but if oh, instead nice. of a rat, it was an octopus. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then it almost looks like he's got a trap on his on his That's head. That's right. For catching other chin. for catching other yeah. octopi. Ooh. Oh wow. Okay, so this one's more of a spider's web. Mm-hmm. He's got the beard going out. And then he's got sections in between the hair with one long stripe down the middle. It almost looks like a crossbow. It does look like a crossbow. Yeah. That is a curl upon a curl upon a curl. <laughs> you notice all these guys are dressed to the nines? Three-piece suits. Very important. Very important. Yeah. Well done. This is a lady. A bearded lady? Okay. This looks, this looks like it's glued on. She's just doing this for it, fun. Yeah. Uh, this guy's mustache is connecting to his ears. Looks like it. Okay. Yeah. Contestants competed in 47 different categories that honor creative facial hair. Oh, classic ZZ Top. All the way down yeah. to the balls. Another classic. Well, that's more Santa-ish, right? Because of the white? Yeah. That's a ZZ Top Santa look. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, another roll upon roll upon roll. That's exciting. You know what that is? That's like wearing curlers for your beard. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, I guess, in a competition, but do you think these people are actually rocking that? Probably not. But again, see above, three-piece suit. Yeah. Oh, look at that. So what do we call this? Do we know what this tie is? Um, This is like cowboy western car dealer tie. It's like a bow tie with really long tails. Yeah, this guy's outfit, he's got, he's even got the, uh, the arm... The armbands. Yep. 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 He looks like he he should be pouring you a sarsaparilla. That's right. Pour me a sarsaparilla and deal me some faro. (laughs) That beard doesn't look like it belongs on him. This one looks younger. Yeah. Like he started this as soon as he this. Like maybe this is his first hair. That one looks like a giant carrot. Does look like a giant carrot. Yeah, it's more modest. He trims this one. Yeah. So he's got a pointy stash and then he's got a long beard. Pretty standard. Carpet matches the drapes. Nice jacket. Ah, a combination effect. The mustache that goes up to the ears and a long beard. Mm-hmm. Nice touch. Yeah, but the jacket. I think goal. the jacket's what wins that. Jacket, jacket wins an award by itself. And a cane. Yeah, out of point. Don't forget a pimp cane. From fantastical freestyle beards to meticulously groomed mustaches, the contestants showed off their... Whoa. That's ridiculous. That's like a I can't even describe that. Yeah, that's if, if if a beard was chaos, that's what we were looking it's at. It's like a roller coaster on your face. Mm-hmm. Ooh, blue mohawk. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots of lots of circles. Okay, a lot of circles. Apparently, that's popular. Well, that's. I mean, his top hair is better than his beard hair. Well, and his jacket's on, outstanding again. Oh, the jacket's on point. Yep. Uh, okay. Nope. Uh-huh. Nice crafty. 
Another lady with nope. a mustache. I don't know how I feel about that. Ah, Eastern influence. Okay. Got ourselves a Sikh with a dual color beard. Mm-hmm. Well, done. well done, sir. Nice jacket. Yeah, yeah the clothes, you can see I think, are the big winners. The clothes are the winners, bunch. right. So we got Froline here with the fake beard. Mm-hmm. And then Captain Nemo here at the bottom. Dude's a champ. All right. You have one ticket. You get to choose. Are you going to do the national beer championships or are you going to the mullet championships? Oh, the child mullet championships. So hard. <laughs> you get one ticket. Child mullet. Yeah, me too. Okay, good. Yeah, that was the right choice. Now that wraps up happy times. That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny Leon, the Midge, or Mr. Jones, or any of our special guests. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. We want to hear from you. If you like our show, please give us a five-star review on our podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend. Every positive review makes it easier for others to find the show and join the Bob community. We are on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a quiet drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>